Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran, a ministry of Worship Generation Church in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. So Israel's a divided kingdom, and we're about 800 B.C., and it's the time of Elijah is the prophet, and Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, who's Sidonian, modern Lebanon, they're an unequally yoked marriage, and like so often happens, she's brought her prophets of Baal to town, and it's not about worshiping Jehovah, God of Israel, with the people of covenant. They've been compromised, and Baal has been their Lord, and Baal means Lord, and so Baal, the worship of Baal, He's Lord of anything, so Lord of weather, Lord of war, Lord of shed innocent blood, Lord of sexual pleasure. He's just Lord, and so that's a better background to understand the cultural battle for the minds of the people, like who's Lord over the people. And remember, Israel's in a covenant with God, and they made a covenant with them, and they're his people, unlike any other nation that's been before them or since them in that context. So with that in mind, Ahab gets a lot of attention in the Bible, much more so than many of the kings that you get. In fact, he's got many chapters. He's already featured in, in the whole thing with the prophets of Baal and the fire from heaven. The drought was called, called out to his face by Elijah. And he's, he's one of those guys that God puts in front and center for us to look at his life. And it's been well said, if you can learn from other people's mistakes, it can save you time, energy, and resources and apply that to your life. Like, the more you can learn from someone else's mistakes, good for you, that if you don't make them. And then, of course, we want to learn from our own mistakes and not repeat them. So they have tonight, we're looking at his life to learn from his mistakes and take his negatives and look at what was God really wanting to do that would be our positives in Jesus' name here tonight as we come to chapters 20 and 21. There are three different events we're going to look at with Ahab. God sends three different people to speak to him on behalf of the Lord. There's the prophet, there's the man of God, and then there's Elijah. And there's three different events, and each of the events, God is speaking to Ahab under different circumstances, and we'll see his progressive failures and where it takes him, whereas the opportunities that are available for anyone in faith in Jesus Christ to grow and learn from similar events in our life. So there's really good application for us tonight. So we're looking at life lessons from King Ahab. As we keep that in mind, we start with chapter 20. And in chapter 20, we had left off where Elijah had had the standoff with the prophets of Baal, called down the fire, then he, he heard the rain before it rained. He saw the rain before the cloud came. We saw that last week. And then the, the, the rains came, the drought was over, and Elijah fled from Jezebel to the south. Ahab had gone home to tell his wife Jezebel what Elijah had done, killing all the prophets of Baal. And that's where we left Ahab off. The last time we saw Ahab, he's explaining to his wife how Elijah killed all these prophets of Baal that she had imported for false worship in the land of Israel. And now he's reintroduced to us because then in chapter 20, we see this story where he's there in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Israel, excuse me, the king of Syria, comes down from his northern border to make war against him. That's what they do in the Middle East, right? It's what people do around the world, actually. And so he comes in to make war and he says, hey, everything that you have is mine and And Ahab was like, 
you know, strength versus strength, he realizes that Ben-Hadad is much stronger than him with the amount of the military he has. It is all verse 1 through 22. And he says, you know, yeah, you're, you're stronger, whatever, you know, this is mine. And he goes, well, it's so much mine. Tomorrow we're going to show up and take everything we want in your houses. And, and uh, Ahab goes, well, that's, that's not going to work. You know, you can't do that. We'll offer you some things, but we're not going to let you just come into each of our homes and take what's ours. It's, it's not like that. And so he consented with the elders of Israel, and they decided we're going to take a stand here. And we're going to, if we stand, we stand. If we die, we die. But we're not going to let the Syrians come in and just plunder our houses in front of our wives and our kids and take our wives and kids and our wealth and this kind of stuff. And that's where it was at. And then in the middle of that, so Ahab had purpose in his own strength that he just was not going to allow that to happen, though the odds were heavily against him militarily. And then in verse 13, it said that suddenly a prophet approached him and it's in, verse, in chapter 20, and says, Thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? That's the multitude of the Syrian coalition. Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And then God went on to tell him, because Ahab goes, well, how's that going to happen? And he's like, by the young leaders, and then by you. You're going to lead them. You're going to be the great leader of this deliverance. God came to him and said, I'm going to give you a great victory. It's like he, he had to be terrified, but in his own strength, he's not going to let these guys just come and take everything he has. So he probably purposely is ready to die that day, but he's not going to let this happen. So he's going to die defending his household, his family, Ahab, without the Lord, because he has no relationship with the Lord. And then when he draws this battle line, when he can be terrified, here comes the Lord and he says, hey, I'm going to give you victory today. In fact, the phrase is the prophet, so this random prophet comes and says, Behold, I'm with you, and I'm going to deliver them into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So in the relationship between the king of Israel, he's supposed to have a relationship with God because he's the leader of God's people. In this relationship that has not been established personally between the Lord and Ahab because of his unbelief and compromises, God says, hey, I'm I'm going to show you that I'm the Lord. So they have the battle Syria's victorious, excuse me, Israel's victorious against Syria. In fact, they rout him. They give him a beatdown. It's a total beatdown, which brings us to verse 22 in the key verse. So after they, this first story involving Ahab, after they have this deliverance that the Lord gave them supernaturally, in verse 22 of chapter 20, we read, and the prophet, so it's the same prophet that told him you're going to have victory, came to the king of Israel and said to him, go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do for In the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come up against you. So God's given him a victory. It's a profound victory. He's bought time. He's got time. There's been an extension. Wow, that's amazing. I was like, wow, we thought we were going to get crushed by Ben and Dad. There are so many of them. And like, we we whooped them man for man. In fact, it literally says like man on man. They whooped everybody and they put him to flight. So they'd seen the supernatural hand of God on their behalf. Remember, it's not that long before this when Elijah had said to all these people, if the Lord is Lord, serve him. If Baal's Lord, serve him. And the, and the God who comes down in fire and consumes the offering, that's who the Lord is. And remember, the people said, oh, Jehovah's the Lord. Jehovah's the Lord. That's where we left off with the masses on Mount Carmel. And here they are now, and they had a total victory with Ahab leading them. It's going good. But are they all in with the Lord, which is how they're supposed to be, how we're all supposed to be? Because, of course, the cross, the empty tomb, the day of Pentecost for the church, and Jesus to the right hand of the Father is all in with the Lord, right? Yes and amen. So they were meant to be all in with the Lord. God doesn't call down fire from heaven against a wet sacrifice to have people go home and think, like, oh, I might go to church next week if I feel like it. 
You know, like fire from heaven means like get, get your game on, get your hustle on, and get about what you're alive for and fulfill it before you step into eternity with this brief thing we call a vapor of a life. That's really what the, the issue is here. But when the prophet came to him, he said, go strengthen yourself. Take note and see what you should do. Those three phrases. Go strengthen yourself. Well, how does Ahab strengthen himself? Go strengthen yourself. Take note. Take note of what? And consider what you should do. So take note. Okay, so uh, strengthen yourself. A, it's a timeout. Grow personally. Like, you could say that. Mm. Take note. Uh, take inventory. Like, what went right? What went wrong? What's going on in your life right now? Hey, Ahab, you might be king, but have you ever written a journal? Have you ever thought about, like, the Ten Commandments and writing a journal, what they mean to your life? In other words, like, the prophet goes, like, take go to the... Take note. You just saw something that was supernatural affect your life personally and the people you lead, your family, your household, the people you love. Go think about it. Strengthen yourself. Take note and think where you're going from here. In other words, we would say that you take inventory in what the next thing is. Remember, in the book of Proverbs, there's, there's knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Knowledge is these are the facts. Understanding is what they mean. And wisdom is the right decision based upon your understanding. That's the wisdom God gives us for practical living, spiritual living. And so Ahab is like, hey, figure out, think about what happened. Go over the facts. Go over the game film. Look at this test result. Look, look, look at what happened here. Think about it. And then in what you're going to do, because you're going to have another rematch with this guy. He's coming back because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they always come back. Always. One victory of the devil is just today's victory. He comes back the next day. And one victory over the flesh is just today's victory because the flesh will be there tomorrow. One victory over our pride is just today's victory because our pride will want to rule tomorrow. And so in this apex moment, defining moment of Ahab's life, God has made himself personal to Ahab. Ahab from a distance could see the fire called down from heaven. But here now, it's all personal. It's personal. God has granted you a deliverance. You will know I am the Lord. It's personal. You will know I'm the Lord. It's like people who resist the Lord, resist the gospel, resist the good news of Jesus Christ. And they think, oh, you're churchgoers, you're narrow-minded, or, you know, they're nice people, but it's not for me. And, but then when they have an event in their life where God makes it personal between them and the Lord, it's them and the Lord. Like We have all these facades as human beings that we hide behind to distance ourselves from the Lord, to not think about eternity, to not think about our mortality and all these things. And then the Lord will give us an experience where we've been maybe fighting the Lord before we come to the Lord, and we have to, it's you and the Lord. It's like Saul of Tarsus when he's persecuting the Christians, and he has the encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? It's that, that moment where God is revealing himself personally, powerfully to an individual. In this case, it's Ahab. When Ahab stood before the throne of God in eternity, he could never say, you didn't reveal yourself to me. Because God most certainly did reveal himself to him here. It's like the people that go to a harvest crusade. Family members bring them. 
And they, instead of letting the word of God and the gospel judge them and repenting and surrendering to Christ and knowing that this is life and that more abundantly, they sit as judge and jury of Phil Wickham, Jeremy Camp, and the bands, and Greg Laurie, and they sit as judge and jury of the people that go forward, and they go home and they reject Christ and they step into eternity. They were so close. But they didn't strengthen themselves. They didn't take inventory, and they didn't think about it. Maybe they went to the crusade because they almost died in a car wreck. Or their mom gave them an early inheritance, and that was the condition of getting an early inheritance is going to go here, Greg Laurie. These things happen every day. Trust me, as a pastor in 34 years, it, this stuff is the way it works sometimes. So close. As close as Pilate when he said to Jesus, what is truth? So close. As close as Festus and Felix when he said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So close. Because the kingdom was right there. So close as the rich young ruler who went away sad because the one thing he had to let go of was the one thing he was unwilling to let go of. So close. And for us, the powerful lesson, if we have given our life to Christ and we call Christ our Lord and Savior and we confess him as Lord and Savior, is when we have these massive events in our life, these defining events of deliverance from the Lord, maybe it's an ongoing trial, a court thing, and your lawyer did this and their lawyer did that, and you have a temporary victory, but it's not resolved, and you've been so tight with the Lord because you're just terrified it could all go wrong, and you're clinging to the Lord, and you feel like, oh, maybe it's a reprieve, but the Lord's like, no, you need to, you need to, it's not done yet. Your, your worst fear could come to pass with your health, your assets, this relationship, and these things, our country, you know, like, and you say, okay, what then is the lesson well, when the Lord says to you and me personally, or our household, with whatever we're going through, and it's, a, it's something like this where it's cataclysmic, because this was cataclysmic. They were going to lose everything, and God intervened for a non-believer who's fighting them and brought Baal to the community. How, how much more so for the believers in Christ will he intervene? And he would say, go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. See, when the Lord gives us deliverance in Jesus' name, it should push us, press us in closer to the Lord. Because we strengthen ourselves. When David, when David had a similar event and the raiders came from Ziglag and took his wives and his wealth and all the mighty men's people and everything, it says that they were going to stone David and kill him. And it says, what did David do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. At his darkest hour, he pressed into the Lord and strengthened himself in the Lord. And at those darkest hours, that's the wisest thing we can do. The times of uncertainty, when it's halftime in the worst trial of your life and it's halftime and you're making half, mid-game adjustments, you want to press into the Lord, not come up with another plan that you and I have created because we're little geniuses because we're creating God's image because we can come up with great ideas from the, you know, the creativity of the right brain, the metrics of the left brain. We can figure out this incredible thing to put the Jeep on Mars, but see, that won't do it. What we need is the mind of Christ and the mind of the Lord that goes over both. See, you and I, when we're pressed in by the cruxable of life, the Lord has the answers of knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and we have the mind of Christ. So all, all the intelligence in the universe that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through the Spirit in us, he can give us the answers and the keys, but it's always going to come from trusting the Lord and pressing into the Lord. If anyone thinks he's standing, he lets he fall. It comes from the Lord. Everything good, just, too noble, true and noble, praiseworthy, the answers, the wisdom, it comes from the Lord. And we need to press into the Lord in this difficult time. Where Ahab pulled away, we need to press in. 
where Ahab should have strengthened himself, he actually weakened himself because he didn't go into the next battle strong in the Lord. He didn't strengthen his dependence on the Lord. His confidence was not the Lord. And when it came what to do, who even knows what he thought to do? But I'll tell you what's always good to do, and we know this, is every day to cling to the Lord. For as Moses said to Israel, he is your life and the length of your days. And Jesus in this John 15, when he said, abide in me and I in you, for apart from me, apart from me you can do nothing. He, the phraseology there is very similar to Moses before he died and gave him the law. And he said, the Lord is your life and the length of your days. What Jesus says as the vine and the branches in John 15 is very similar in the concept of total dependence. Ahab needed to press into the Lord with everything he had. Every cell in his body, every fiber he had. He needed to repent for the, letting Jezebel, his unequally yoked wife, bring in the prophets of Baal. He needed to repent for bringing the drought on the land. When he said to Elijah, you're the trouble of Israel. And right here, when he had this victory, he should have looked up Elijah, sent him a, a text or something and said, hey, I'm really sorry I said you're the trouble of Israel. I'm the trouble of Israel, like you said, because I didn't obey the word of the Lord. And I am really sorry. Can you give me some guidance and get ready for springtime because Ben-Hadad's coming back? And what's Elijah going to do? He's like, yeah, I'll be right back. I'm coming right now. What time? We'll do coffee, right? We'll go to vacancy, whatever. Let's do it. Like, that's what Elijah would have done. But he, Ahab didn't do that, but we can. You see, his failure and mistake is our lesson. When the going gets tough in the kingdom, we press into the king. That's what we do. We press in, we press in, we press in. And it's interesting, being a pastor for so many years, I've seen people in the very hardest cruxables of life, and they generally do two different things within the church of Jesus Christ. Some people really do press into the Lord, and they get stronger and stronger. And so whether they're losing a child, or losing their job, or losing their wealth, or, all, or a dream that's crushed, or lost an arm like Bethany Hamilton as a, as a young girl, and watching her dream, it just we were there, we saw, I mean, we... And some people just get better and they write books and they make movies and they inspire and they stir up and then the kingdom advances. But some people, they do the exact opposite and they start out in a church. They were in the church when the storm came and instead of pressing in the Lord, they walk away from the Lord. And they become bitter and they blame the Lord for this and blame the Lord for that. And if God's a God of love and this and that, and it's, a, it's, a, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. We need to learn from Ahab, press in to the Lord. Not to retract, but to strengthen ourselves, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. And to take note from God's word by his spirit what he's showing us individually. And to consider before the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Jesus said to seek, knock, and ask. The Bible tells us if we lack wisdom, let us ask of God and he'll give it to us. He will show us what to do. Wait on the Lord, go this way, but... When this type, these type of events happen in our life, we need to get stronger in the Lord. That's, that's what the, the Lord wants to do. And unfortunately, that's not what Ahab did. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Now, the second event in Ahab's life is what came next in this story. Because the Assyrians, in fact, did come back. So verses 23 to the end of the chapter, 43, is all about the Assyrians, excuse me, the Assyrians coming back. And round two. So Ben-Hadab reloads. His guys say, hey, they won because they serve the God of the hills. We, are, we serve the God of the valleys. We'll fight these guys in the valleys. We'll win. And because they said that, the Lord's like, no, you, no, you know. Like, God will let some nations get away with saying what they say. But for whatever reason with the Syrians, he goes, no, I'm going to, that's not going to go. So in the springtime, the Syrians came back. 
And in verse 28 of chapter 20, we read that a man of God. Now, this is not the prophet. This is a different person. So God's giving, God's giving Ahab a different messenger. He's had Elijah. Then he's had this, this, uh, this prophet, this random prophet for what we just read about. Now he's got this, this man of God. We don't even know who he is. He's, he's the man of God. So he shows up in verse 28, and he says, Hey, because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills, but he's not God of the valley, therefore I will deliver all that great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So this is a second chance. This is like a second chance for Ahab to respond to the Lord. And by the way, the Bible tells us, reject a divisive man or woman after the first and second admonition. So Jesus told Peter, you need to forgive someone 490 times, but when you're in the ministry and you're trying to figure out if you have a ministry with somebody and they're divisive and problematic in a, in a group setting, in a home group or a church or whatever, hey, you get two exhortations and then you can be invited to leave. So really, Ahab got two chances and Paul, when he's given counsel to his spiritual leaders in the early church, he's like, hey, two chances. After that, you gotta, you gotta move them out and give them over to the devil to do what he's gonna do in their life because we don't have time for this. You know, it's two chances to get it right. And Ahab, yet again, a second time, God says to him, you shall know that I am the Lord. And he goes, this time, the Lord says, through this man of God, I'm not delivering you. This time, I'm doing it because. So in the first deliverance, he said, I'm just going to do it. Say, hey, look, see this multitude? I'm going to deliver them. But the second time, he says, through this man of God, I'm going to deliver them to, to you. Because they're taunting me and saying that I'm the God of the hills, I'm going to show them I am the Lord, there is no other. Like, sometimes God just does that. Essentially, there's been like 30 great nations in human history that have ruled the world, and all of them have failed to rule the world eventually because their family units were destroyed. Did you know that? Their definition of a family was redefined, and the family unit was destroyed. Just so you know. If God wants to destroy a nation because they've go against his word and his framework and what he blesses and what he does, how he defines it. Because he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's like gravity. We want to be on the right side of gravity. Gravity is never going to change. Gravity is gravity. Sowing and reaping is sowing and reaping. Those are the two greatest laws in the universe. I'm convinced the two greatest laws in the universe are gravity, physical realm, sowing and reaping, spiritual realm. As a man sows, as a woman sows, so shall she reap. You sow mercy, you get mercy. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. It's just, it, you, you sow anger, death, hatred, and that's how, that's what you get. It's exactly what you get. God's universe is so perfect. And so here, these people are taunting the Lord, and God says, no, this is my land that I gave to my people. And he's not going to do this every time. When let the Syrians come in, the Babylonians come in, even Alexander the Great, and let them do what they did, the Seleucid Empire. He let them do that, even the Romans. But when he says it's game over, it's game over for that nation. And it was game, game over on this one for Syria in this battle because they're saying, no, our God's better than their God. And God's like, no, this has nothing to do with Ben-Hadad anymore that way. It has to do with me and you guys, and I'm going to show you who the Lord is. But in that, he says to Ahab, you will know that I am the Lord. So it's the second chance for Ahab. It's like, hey, you know, like when your wife goes like, honey, like, hmm, you know, pretty obvious this time, right? Well, I'm not sure. No, it is. Son of Adam, it's obvious. You will know. Or you can go the other way around too, honey. You, well, I don't know. You know, like, but it's obvious. You shall know that I am the Lord. 
That's what he says in verse 28. So the second victory happens. So there's a second victory where God gives them great victory. And they absolutely smash the Syrians again a second time against all odds. It's like Gideon's mighty men with the Midianites in the book of Judges. It's against all odds. So they have the victory. Then Ben-Hadad, who, was, who had just told them less than a year before, I'm going to take your wives, your kids, your loot, your silver, your gold, everything, and there's nothing you can do about it. That same Ben-Hadad, well, he's fled for his life. He's hiding, and he's fearful of his life that he's going to be executed by Ahab. But then Ahab finds out he's still alive, and so Ben-Hadad comes before him, and in verse 32 of chapter 20, uh, Ben-Hadad stands before Ahab, and uh, he says, ah, oh, he's my brother, you know, like, so Ahab says that Ben-Hadad is, so he heard that Ben-Hadad was alive, and so in verse 32, he says, oh, Ben-Hadad's still alive? He's my brother. <laughs> Wait a minute, the guy was just going to take your wife, your kids, and all your wealth, but he's your brother? See, when you don't, when you're fighting the Lord, you don't think right. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Baran. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and our church YouTube channel. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. For more information about Pastor Joey personally, you can follow him on his Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and God bless.